You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, as you're being seated, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. As you're doing that, I'm going to go ahead and pull up our sermon slides for today. We do have these available through our Google Drive for those that need to access them, access them either today or even at a later time, or if you're listening on the podcast, those will be available for you. I told you earlier today that we're at kind of a a natural breaking point in the book of Revelation where um, some of the events that we're about to look to are not as much future as they are past as we look to the first coming of Jesus some in Revelation chapter 12. And so given that natural break and that natural um, pause, I wanted us to pause a little bit and just give the Lord the opportunity to speak to us from some different areas of Scripture uh, before we jump back into Revelation chapter 12. And uh, one of the passages that I've been reflecting upon is Galatians chapter 6. I want to start reading for us in verse 6. It says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's another passage that talks about um, not growing weary in the midst of doing good. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll start reading in verse 6. It says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would not give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Both these passages are written by Paul. They're written to different churches, and they are written with the assumption that it was possible for these churches, individual members of these churches, to grow weary in the very good that they were doing. Um, So Paul doesn't necessarily address them and say they need to increase their good. He doesn't necessarily address them and say that they're not doing a very good job. He acknowledges that good work is being done by both of these churches, but he also acknowledges that there's factors that could be at play that would cause them to become discouraged, that would cause them to question whether or not they should continue doing good. And so Paul anticipates this uh, weariness. He encourages them not to grow weary, to keep pressing on, to keep doing good. And as I was reading these two passages this week and kind of reflecting upon our time in Revelation, you know, we're talking a lot about Jesus coming back in the future. We're talking a lot about the, the blessings and the benefits that come from Jesus coming back and how we look forward to those things, we long for those things, we anticipate those things. 
But then we leave here and we go back to our normal daily, weekly routine where things are hard at work, things are hard at home. Um, Our employee relationships may be a struggle at times. Our relationship with our kids may be difficult at times. And so it continues to kind of push further and further away this this hope and anticipation of Jesus coming back because it feels like that's never going to happen. It just feels like it's so distant in the future. And it's very easy for us to get kind of locked into the mundane weekly routines and to grow weary in the midst of doing good. And so I wanted us to to look at that idea today, Paul addresses it in both of these churches, warns them against growing weary, um, and I think also gives us a little bit of insight as to how to battle uh, weariness, especially in Galatians chapter 6. So our summary sentence for today, as we press on to do good while waiting for Jesus to return, we must anticipate the possibilities of weariness and make intentional efforts to address it when it occurs. As we press on to do good while waiting for Jesus to return, we must anticipate the possibilities of weariness and make intentional efforts to address it when it occurs. For our kids, a Christian might grow weary but should not stay weary. A Christian might grow weary. Paul acknowledges that. He acknowledges the possibility, the temptation, the threat exists for a Christian to grow weary. But I don't think there's any concessions here by Paul that a Christian should remain in a state of weariness. One, he warns that we should never get to that point, but he anticipates that there's a possibility of it. He warns against it. And so I think a Christian might grow weary, but should not stay weary. As we press on to do good while waiting for Jesus to return, we must anticipate the possibilities of weariness and make intentional efforts to address it when it occurs, which which implies some self-reflection, hopefully, in reading that, that sentence. Like, that implies that, one, we have to anticipate that if we're not weary today, doesn't mean that we won't be weary in a few days, even tomorrow, or in the coming weeks, coming months. The possibility exists, I think, for all Christians to, to be tempted to grow weary in their doing of good. Um, so we have to anticipate that we're not exempt from that, and therefore, especially in states when we're not weary, determined to be intentional that if we ever get into that state that we will address it when it occurs. And I want to give you some ways to do that if you begin to sense a weariness in your own life about the good that you're doing. All right, we want to set a good example for our kids that a Christian might grow weary, but a Christian should certainly not stay weary. Today's a little bit different in the aspect that our discussion questions this morning are actually the exact things that we're going to talk about in our sermon today. Um, So I gave you three questions this morning uh, to discuss before we even got to our sermon, what were some of the good things that the early church was engaged in? So thinking back to Paul's encouragement here in Galatians to this church to not grow weary uh, in doing good, what were some of the things that they would have been doing that were good that Paul doesn't want them to grow weary in doing? Uh, Number two, why might someone begin to grow weary in doing good? Man, if if Jesus came to offer the abundant life and has called us to be obedient to him and follow to him, and that's where we find ultimate satisfaction and joy, why would a Christian ever grow weary in living that type of life or in doing those type of things? And then number three, how would you seek to encourage someone who feels they are growing weary in their good? All right, how would, you, how would you encourage someone that maybe shares an accountability group? Hey, I'm just growing weary. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do this, but I'm just growing weary in my efforts. How would you encourage someone who is self-admitting that they are growing weary in their good? 
Let's start with that first question. What were some of the good things that the early church was engaged in? What were some of the things that the early church was engaged in? What were some of the answers that y'all came up with this morning in your discussion groups? What were some of the, the good things that Paul might have had in mind when he addresses both of these churches? Any thoughts? Suffering for the gospel. All right, suffering for the gospel. Sacrificial serving. Sacrificial serving. And if you have examples of where, where, what made you say that, you can share those as well. Suffering for the gospel, sacrificial serving. Yeah, I think in Acts when they're like selling their stuff. All right, in Acts when they're selling, selling their possessions to, to make sure that there's no one that's in need within their church. When Peter and John uh, were beat for sharing the name of Jesus. Okay. Yep, Peter, John, others that, that endured persecution for their gospel efforts. What's some, some of the other things that come to mind when you think of the early church and the good that the early church was doing? that Paul might have had in mind here. Meeting together faithfully. Meeting together faithfully. Any other thoughts? I know they, I was saying in our group, that the apostles always emphasized looking after the poor, the widows, and the orphans. That was always stressed. Yep. So I'm sure they were doing that. Yep. Trying to follow the commands of Christ here. Yep, which absolutely. Were, which were radical. Absolutely. Especially we see that in the book of Acts taking care of the, the widows and the poor and making sure that they were being fed. And that's where that first big disagreement arises, where they have to find men that will then oversee that ministry to make sure that they're being fed. Um, there's even instructions in Scripture about the type of widows that were able to be enlisted into the, uh, the church's help system. Um, so that was certainly something that the early church was engaged in. I think everybody has hit on, on the things that I want to mention, so that's, that's good. Like, we're not talking about rocket science here. We're not talking about some deep elements of Scripture that need to be communicated to answer this question. I think it's pretty obvious some of the things that the early church was engaged in that Paul would have had in mind when he talks about don't, growing, don't grow weary in doing good. The first thing that, that comes to mind for me is intentionally gathering. Intentionally gathering. For our kids, they gathered together. So the early church was kind of known for. They're consistent, they're faithful, gathering together, at least on a weekly basis, potentially even on a daily basis when the church first arose in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, a familiar passage that, that highlights some of those things that the church was known for in its early stages. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. See what it says? And day by day, verse 46, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Right? We see, we see some intentional effort here by this church or by these, by these beginning churches, intentional effort to gather together. And like I said, in verse 46, it at least started out on a day-by-day basis. They were gathering together as the local church daily, and as a result, they were seeing people saved daily. Man, I don't know that, that we could push for that type of church calendar in our culture today where we expected every day for us to gather as a church family. 
But that was certainly the case there. And I don't know that it wouldn't have taken just as much strategy for them to figure out, okay, how do I accomplish the things that I need to, the things that I have responsibility to do, in addition to making sure that we have time to gather with our church family on a day-by-day basis, right? Like, I don't think it was necessarily that much easier for them to figure out how to navigate busy schedules. I mean, they had responsibilities, they had work, potentially just as much as we do today, Think about the luxuries and the things that we have that make a lot of things easier. I mean, Melissa can attest, can testify to the fact that cooking lunch, cooking dinner in Uganda takes a lot longer than it does today here in this culture, right? If we want to have rice and beans for dinner tonight, then we can have that in like five minutes, right? Like it's a process in Uganda to have beans and rice for a meal. I mean, you have to set aside, you have to carve out a, a section of your day to eat to make sure that somebody's preparing that for you. Right? So if we go back to that type of culture where they don't have the luxuries that we have, man, they were, they were busy. Right? They had a lot of stuff going on, and yet they were able to carve out in their schedule. They were able to prioritize in their schedule how to intentionally gather together. Right? But, but it wasn't assumed that it would just continue. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the author of Hebrews Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right? Kind of that, that idea that, man, we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of waiting to do for Jesus to come back. But, man, as we continue to get closer and closer, and every day we are closer and closer to that day when Jesus comes back, Author of Hebrews says, man, don't neglect to meet together, right? Like the church is known for gathering together, intentionally gathering together, making that a priority. And then the warning is don't ever stop making that a priority, right? Like don't ever become unintentional in your plans to meet together. Be intentional in your gathering. Secondly, though, I think we see sacrificial giving taking place. We already saw in Acts chapter 2 where they were selling their stuff, basically, right? Like they wanted to make sure that that no one had any needs. And so they were selling their stuff and they were giving it to the church. They were pooling their money together. Um, We know from the account with Ananias and Sapphira that it wasn't a requirement. You didn't have to do it. You didn't have to give so much. It's consistent with what... what, um, what the rest of the New Testament talks about, like we don't give out of compulsion, we give out of a cheerful heart, right? So, so there was no set amount that had to be given, but man, they were just responding out of a gracious heart. I wanna help meet needs within our church and I wanna give sacrificially so that no one has any needs in our church. In Acts chapter four, verse 34, another passage that relays this to us. So we see it in Acts chapter two, but in Acts chapter four, verse 34, There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. We even see the example of Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. He didn't do it out of compulsion. He wasn't told as a as an application point to the the last week's sermon, go do this. He just does it. And then right after this is when we see Ananias and Sapphira try to do that, 
but want to lie and hold some of it back, but they want to look as good as Joseph, who was called Barnabas. They want to look as good as him in their efforts. But there was no requirement here. I mean, the church was just responding. They were, they were making sacrifices in order to give so that no one had need within the church. So intentionally gathering, sacrificially giving, progressively serving. They were progressively serving. What do I mean by progressively serving? I mean that they were increasing in their serving. Right? They, were, they were progressing in their level of service to their community. So it started off as this, whatever they were that they were doing, it started off as this, and then it was increasing. They were, they were adding to their service. They, they, were, they were having to find new opportunities to serve because they were exhausting what they were already doing. Like, hey, this isn't enough. We can do more, right? So, so they probably had people uh, requesting and asking, hey, give us more service opportunities. Give us more ways to serve. This takes us back to Revelation chapter 2, where we've already been recently. In verse 19, this is to the church at Thyatira. Remember what, what the Lord said to them? He says, I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Remember, we, we said that Jesus commends them and says, what you used to do as a church, you've, you've increased that. What you were doing when you first started out, you're not, only, you're not doing that anymore. You're doing far more than that. Your latter works exceed the first works that you started. We don't have a church here who started off overly ambitious with a bunch of service opportunities and then had to pull back and say, okay, man, we just don't have enough involvement. We just don't have enough uh, buy-in on this stuff. So we're gonna have to cancel this, stop this, don't do this anymore, and really try to put our efforts on this because this is where we seem like we can get the most participation, right? That's not, that's not taking place here. He says, man, this is a church that is growing and progressing in their service efforts. You started off doing this, but you've increased it. Your latter works exceed your first works. They're commended for that. Now, they're, they're uh, rebuked for other things, right? Like we saw that, like that they were, they were tolerating things in the midst of their service. But man, they were increasing. They were adding to their earlier works, progressively serving. Number four, they were strategically welcoming, intentionally gathering, right? Like making, making intentional effort, carving out time in their schedules to be together. They were sacrificially giving. They were making sacrifices, right? Like this wasn't just, hey, I have some leftover money. Here you go. It was, I don't have enough money to give. So I'm gonna go get rid of things in my life so that I can give more, right? Like really sacrificing to give for the good of other people. Progressively serving, not just being content with what they were doing. I mean, they wanted to do more. Like let's, let's add to this. Right? Paul talks about outdoing one another and showing honor and favor to each other. This church was trying to outdo itself, right? Like they're, they're, they're evaluating themselves and they're saying, we're not doing enough. We're not serving enough. Let's do more, right? Like let's add to what we're already currently doing, okay? Then, they get in, then we get into the last, the number, number four, the last thing, and Topi brought this up about hospitality. They were strategically welcoming. They were hospitable with each other. And I think there was, there was two folds to this. There was one, those that were members of the church, they were being strategic in their hospitality with those that were a part of the church. But then they were also exuding something that made people who weren't a part of the church want to stick around and be a part of the church, right? Like we've talked about, they were boldly proclaiming the gospel. It was all about the resurrection. People were, were drawn to 
this radical change that was taking place in these individual lives. Man, these guys are coming together on a daily basis. They're meeting together, selling their stuff. They're giving it to each other. We hear this message. Man, we want to be a part of that, right? We want to join up with that. They're adding to their numbers daily, right? But there was some, so some strategy to it, I think, in how they were welcoming. First of all, let me give you an example. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. This is qualification of, a, of an elder, qualification of an overseer. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Right? Like this is a qualification of somebody who is not in leadership for him to then be in leadership. Right? So, so it would be wrong to assume that people in leadership are the ones that are hospitable. Because they should be. They, they should have already demonstrated that. Right? The assumption here is that hospitality is a standard that's to be met by everybody in the church because you're supposed to look out and find the people that are hospitable in your church and make them leadership, right? So it was an expectation that people in the church were known for being welcoming into their homes, into their, into their families, right? We see this also in Titus chapter 1, verse 8. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, drunkard, violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined, right? Both passages, both qualifications for being overseer. You have to have demonstrated an attitude of hospitality. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 is what I referenced earlier that that um, enlistment requirement for widows that want help from the church. Verse 9, let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work, these are the type of people you enlist to help, like, like ongoing regular help. There was probably some people that maybe had one-time gift, one-time help, but these were the people that you were going to enlist and kind of have them faithfully uh, receive help from the church. People that had shown hospitality. So it wasn't just a requirement for men, elders. It wasn't just a requirement for women. It was a requirement for both. Like it was an expectation for both that, man, there ought to be people in your church that are known for their hospitality, that are welcoming to people. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And Peter even anticipates we might grow weary in our hospitality and begin to grumble about having to do it. He says, don't do that. Just, just don't. Show hospitality without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. All right, so again, Expectation fell on men and women in the church. Be hospitable. Be strategic in your welcoming. Be intentional with your welcoming. Be known in the church as someone who welcomes others. Man, be known as someone in the church who welcomes others. That was the expectation. Hebrews chapter 13. And I'm going to admit, this, is, this has always been a weird passage to me. But man, it just really fits in with what we're talking about right here. So we're going to go with it. Um, don't ask a lot of questions about it, though. Um, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, 
for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Man, I don't, I don't know why angels would be showing up and in need of hospitality. I have no idea. But man, if they ever did show up here in the context of our church, man, I hope that the effort that we made with them would not disappoint. I don't know why they would be here. And if it wasn't mentioned here in Hebrews, I would dismiss it ever being the case that an angel would ever show up anywhere in that type of form. But, but, it, but, it, but it happens here where, where the possibility is at least thrown out there by the author of Hebrews and we don't even know who the author of Hebrews is to be able to go to his other writings and try to get verification on what he's talking about here. But he throws out the idea. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers because you never know when, when an angel might show up unannounced and you would be unaware of it. And if you didn't show hospitality, you would be showing a lack of hospitality to an angel, a visitor from heaven. Man, like we don't talk about this verse enough in the context of like Sunday morning visitation, right? Like people that visit our church. Again, I have no reason to think that an angel has ever showed up at our church to visit. Uh, and if, if they have, I would be completely unaware to it, right? But man, I hope if, if, if even necessary, if we had to use this passage as a reminder, man, visitors deserve the best treatment possible in the context of our church, whether it's a Sunday morning, whether it's at a men's dinner, a women's dinner, whether it's at a C group gathering. Man, they, they deserve the best treatment possible because who knows, it could be an angel. It could be an angel that for reasons we don't know and for reasons that aren't given to us here in Hebrews, they may just be showing up and visiting. And I would hate for us to to drop the ball there and be reported back to by God for whatever reasons possible, that man, no hospitality there in that context, right? Strategically welcoming was the idea in the early church. You were supposed to be able to find people in your church, men and women that were demonstrating hospitality. You're encouraged to not grumble in your hospitality. You're encouraged to be very strategic in recognizing when you're in the presence of strangers because you may be in the presence of angels, Churches were intentionally gathering. They were sacrificially giving. They were progressive in, their, progressive in their serving. They were strategic in their welcoming. Paul may have had other things in mind when he says, don't grow weary in doing good. But I have to think he at least had these four things in mind because these are four things that the early church was known for. They're gathering, they're giving, they're serving, and they're welcoming. He says, don't grow weary in doing those things. Don't grow weary in doing those things. So then the next question I asked you guys this morning, why might someone begin to grow weary in doing good? What were some of the answers? Why would somebody potentially, again, if they're doing the right thing, why would somebody, in, in, uh, why would somebody get to the point where they start to grow weary in those efforts? What were some thoughts you had? Not receiving acknowledgement okay. for doing it. Not receiving affirmation or acknowledgement for the efforts being made. Trying to connect your good deeds to yourself. Right. Trying to connect your good deeds to yourself. Just physically exhausted. Physically exhausted. Feeling alone. Feeling alone in those efforts, maybe. Doing things in your own power. Okay. Not necessarily what the Holy Spirit's wanting right. you to do. Doing things in your own power, maybe not exactly what the Holy Spirit's wanting you to do, and so you've deviated from that. Not seeing any results. Yeah, absolutely. Like not seeing any results from, from all the effort that you're putting into it, right? I came up with three things that I wrote down that I think would be easy Easy, easy reasons or easy things that may be going on that would, that would cause someone to grow weary, all right? First of all, number one, they feel like their good goes unnoticed, 
right? Like that's, that's, that's probably the first thing that comes to mind. Um, I think all of us would agree we could use more affirmation in our life, right? All of us could agree to that. As wives, every one of you could benefit from more affirmation from your husband, like more of an acknowledgement of appreciation for the things that you do every day when the husband leaves and goes to work, right? And then for the women that work and come home and do the things like that, man, you too could benefit from the, from the extra affirmation, the extra appreciation. All of us that work for somebody, right, that, that, that aren't self-employed, that don't have our own business, and I don't know if that's anybody in here. Off the top of my head, we all work for somebody, I think, right? We would all probably say, if my boss affirmed me more, man, it would invigorate me and encourage me greatly in my efforts, right? I think we would all acknowledge that. Um, so you'll never get to a point where you say, my boss doesn't have to affirm me anymore, doesn't have to give me any additional um, acknowledgement for the things that I do. Because you'll probably always long for that, always desire that more. Um, so this isn't a great reason to grow weary, but it is a factor and a reason that oftentimes we grow weary in doing good. We're just not acknowledged for it, right? We're putting forth all this effort, all this uh, intentional effort, and nobody seems to, to, to acknowledge it. Nobody gives us any appreciation for it, all right? Number two, they feel like their good is not making a substantial difference, right? Like, maybe it's not the affirmation part. Like, I don't need you to tell me I'm doing, doing a good job, but I would like to feel like I'm doing a good job, right? Like, I'd like to see some results from what I'm doing, right? And it would be easy to start growing weary if you feel like you're not seeing a substantial difference despite all of the efforts that you're making, those of you that have tried weight loss programs, super encouraging to, to say no to things all during the week and then weigh yourself at the end of the week and see amazing results, right? seems like the effort and the, the, the heartache that I, that I put forth in this week to say no to things that I enjoy, totally worth it because the scale is speaking back to me and, and the effort was worth what I put forth this week. Man, when you say no to a bunch of stuff all week and you stand on the scale and it says the exact same weight as before, it's like, man, why did I even do that all week, right? Like, man, I did all this. I'm expecting a great number here. I mean, I used to watch Biggest Loser, and man, at the beginning of that show, like, they're just dropping pounds, like, I mean, just like big dumbbell weights off of them, right? Then by the end of the show, it's like, man, you dropped a half a pound, or you increased a pound. I mean, that's, that's crazy. You look at it, and you're like, I said no to air. All I drank was water and ate salad all week, and I gained two pounds. Like, how is that even possible, Right? You grow weary real quick in weight loss programs when you don't see a substantial difference to the sacrifices that you're making. Easy to grow weary when you begin to evaluate, should I continue in my efforts based on the results that I'm seeing? And number three, they feel like they're good, might not be worth the effort. So we saw affirmation being important. We saw effort doesn't match the desired result. What I mean by number three is you begin to wonder can I do good? So it's not so much I'm going to stop doing good. But you begin to evaluate, could I do good but do it in a different way and still be faithful to do good and actually begin to see results from my efforts? Do I need to shift where I'm doing my good? Okay, so lack of affirmation, lack of results, but then they, those kind of build off of each other. Like, uh, lack of acknowledgement, not getting acknowledged, then I begin to evaluate, gosh, is the effort that I'm putting forth really 
giving me the return that I expect or that I think is warranted from those efforts? Then number three, you begin to ask yourself, maybe I should do, maybe I should do something different. Maybe I should do my good in a different way to see the results that I desire, right? I think these are some of the things that maybe go through our minds when we reach a point of, of growing weary in some of the good that we're attempting to do. So question number three was, how would you seek to encourage someone who feels they are growing in, growing uh, weary in their good? So not growing in weary and doing their good. Typo there. How would, you in, how would you seek to encourage someone who feels they are growing weary in their good? What were some of the things, things that you came up with? How would you encourage somebody that, that shares with you, I'm growing weary and doing good? I find myself encouraging myself uh, in different areas of my life that I don't always see the, I can't see the big picture. I don't necessarily see the results. Um, I had a counselor that would remind me often, you don't know what's going on in their head. Um, so I remind myself of that. I can't, I can't always see okay. the big picture. What else? There's some questions you might ask, things that you might say to encourage somebody who says they're growing weary and doing good? Sometimes I try to remind myself um, that as tired physically as I might be, I, I look back to Jesus. You know, he got up early and spent time with the Father. He didn't get a whole lot of rest in his physical body. And Paul, the same way, we know that he suffered physically greatly for the for um, for the gospel and. Those are great examples for me to think, eh, I'm just going to go to bed. Or am I going to put in the effort to do whatever it might be? That, um, so she, like she said, you know, trying to remind myself of those or remind somebody else that mm-hmm. Jesus didn't have anywhere to lay down even mm-hmm. and put his head. Kind of the same thing, just asking them what they're expecting to see from their good and then helping them to focus on doing the good for Christ or you doing good because you want some kind of reaction in return for yourself. Right. I think uh, my personality type is to reflect more on myself. Sort of like really resonated with your first um, point. You said that we oftentimes need to give other people affirmation and so, for me, it's not necessarily like, what would I say to you if you're like, man, I'm just feeling really weary. Um, like, I don't know if I would come to you and be like, how is your relationship with God um, first? I think first I would ask myself, how faithful have I been to make you feel appreciated? Mm-hmm. that makes sense? Mm-hmm. something I thought about too was that Hebrews 12 it talks about not growing weary um, but it's in the context of like discipline fighting sin so like if someone was growing weary and doing good um, but maybe they're doing the right thing but they're still dealing with outward consequences for their actions or whatever there's a different type of encouragement that I'm going to offer just like the passage talks about like strengthen your knees make straight paths for your feet keep doing these things that you know are the right thing um, knowing that because they're the right thing that ultimately you will find this peace and encouragement later but you've got to keep moving forward in faith so I guess 
times in my life I've felt weary because of just the effects of sin, um, and that would take on a different type of encouragement than someone who's doing all the right things, but they're just not seeing any fruit mm-hmm. in their life. I think Toby and Anna both sort of hit on what I was going to say, is I know that I'm always having to ask myself, what's my relationship like with Christ and with the Father? You know, have I, because she said, you know, Jesus got up early to spend time with the Father. And I think it's because he knew what his day was going to be like. Yeah. And that was necessary. And I think, and Toby said, you know, I'm going to ask you, what's your relationship like with God? And I do, I have to ask myself, I didn't know that was on. I have to ask myself, have I been taking that time with the one who matters most, with right. the one I'm trying to please. I'm not trying to please men. I want to please him. Right. I think what John Piper said was really encouraging when he talked about like doing good works. He says, are, are we are we giving a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus? Is it for the name of Jesus? So for me, it just goes back to, am I, is all my good deeds or all my good works, are they for the gospel or not? Like, mm-hmm. Because it really doesn't matter if you meet physical needs, but people's souls are at stake mm-hmm. because they don't see Christ. So, yeah. Yeah. so if we go back to those three reasons, um, my good's going unnoticed. Um, I'm not making a substantial difference. Maybe it's not worth the effort. Maybe I could put forth the same effort and get better results doing something totally different. I think some of those are bad perspectives. I think the last one's not necessarily a bad perspective in growing, in growing weary and doing good because you may just look at it and say, I'm just putting way too much effort into this for the, for the results that I'm getting. I could put the same effort somewhere else and get far better results, right? Like that, that's what companies do sometimes. They, they evaluate things that they are doing. Uh, Chick-fil-A recently comes to mind. Like there's some, um, there's some menu items that people love. And I go to Chick-fil-A a lot in the mornings to work. And so as they've transitioned their menu recently, I, there was a couple of weeks where people came in to order the, um, the Chick-fil-A chicken burrito that apparently order it every day. And they were informed, we don't make it anymore. And they're like, what? Like, how could you not make this? It's great. Like I get this every day. Blah, 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 blah. Well, if you ask somebody that like works at corporate, that's kind of been involved in some of those discussions, they say, it's just not making any money. Yeah, there's these handful of people that order it every day, but the bulk of the population does not order this. That's why they got rid of the, the carrot raisin salad, thank goodness, because just nasty. Yeah, they got rid of the coleslaw. Um, <laughs> all right, they get rid of these things, not because they want to make the people mad that get it every day, because they look at it and they say, and, and I've heard from people, and, I, and I've been there, we're, we're going to Chick-fil-A, it just took way too long to make some of these things for the money that we get for it just took way too long. Like, we're going to stop making these things because at the end, we're in the business of making money, right? In the business of making the, the handful of people that come every day and order the same thing happy, they'll, get, they'll, they'll adjust and get a different menu item because the numbers have spoken and our efforts can be better distributed somewhere else. So I think the affirmation piece is kind of a, a, a thing that we all probably go through and we all have to kind of come out of at some point. That, I mean, I'm never going to be happy with the affirmation that I receive, and so that's not an excuse to linger in weariness. I think also we have to evaluate and keep in mind that Galatians is true. If you continue to sow, you will reap, right? You will reap. But I've read some articles recently about us running out of chocolate by a certain year because the amount of time that it takes to grow cocoa beans uh, 
doesn't match with the demand for, for chocolate. And so like we can't keep up because it takes so long to grow them. We can't grow it fast enough to meet the chocolate demands. And so eventually we're not gonna be able to supply the demand because it takes so long to grow it, right? But you continue to sow the cocoa beans, you'll, you'll continue to reap them, just maybe not fast enough. It's not fast enough, okay? But that third reason is maybe a reason where you can look at it and say, okay, to adjust myself in growing weary, I'm gonna redirect my good somewhere else, right? Like I'm not done doing good. I just maybe need to do it differently because, man, what I'm receiving from the effort doesn't match what I feel like I need to be getting from it. Maybe, I, maybe I'm better useful in a different way doing something different, okay? So there's some selfish bad stuff that needs to be corrected in those reasonings, but I think as you work through it, some of it may be valid that's worth considering, okay? How would you encourage someone who feels they're growing weary and they're doing good? Interestingly enough, I was already planning on talking about this, but this week I had several conversations with teachers who are in this state. And so I was able to kind of apply some of the things that I wanted to recommend to you as ways to encourage somebody, okay? So the first thing that I came up with is one, identify the factors that are causing the weariness. Identify the factors that are causing the weariness. What is making you feel this way? What are the contributing factors that are causing you to feel weary in doing good? So with my teachers this week, I had a group meeting with some teachers. I had an individual meeting with another teacher. And that was the very first thing that I began to address with them. Okay, I hear that you're feeling weary. I, I hear that you're feeling tired. I, I hear that you're, you're growing weary in doing good in this job. Share with me the factors that you think are making you feel this way. What is being done to you or not done to you that's causing you to feel this way? It's an, it's an important thing to help evaluate the situation to know where's the weariness coming from, right? Like, we don't go from not being weary to all of a sudden being weary without some factors being at play. Identifying the factors that cause the weariness is important. What is making you feel this way? Number two, seek to change the factors if possible by making personal changes and or asking others to do the same. Seek to change the factors if possible by making personal changes and or there may be a combination of both or maybe just one of these, or asking others to do the same. What can you do to and what can others do to encourage you not to give up? I think it's an important question to ask. What are, what are the factors that are causing your weariness? Secondly, what can you do differently and what can others do differently to spur you on not to give up? It's the exact conversation I have with my teachers this week. Okay, what are the factors that are causing your weariness? Okay, we got some of those things voiced. What can I do differently as your boss? What can I do to help this situation? And then based on our relationship, I was able to then turn around and say, I think if you do these things, you make some changes, I make some changes, we both make changes, man, we can, we can, we can overcome some of this weariness that you're feeling. Right? So I accepted some responsibility. Hey, I could do this differently, or hey, I can address with our student body some of the things that you're expressing. Man, immediately the next day, I went to every eighth grade homeroom and said, stop doing this. Stop doing this. Our, our teachers are tired of this. It's wearing them out. Stop it. Stop doing this. Right? Like I wanted my teachers to know that I value them, and if there's something that I can do to help with the weariness, man, I'm going to step in and do it. I'm going to immediately apply some of the things that they gave to me. But then I also turned around and said, hey, I think you can do some of these things. I think if you take some steps to make some changes, it'll also reduce some of the weariness that you're feeling, 
Okay, sometimes it's things we need to do. Sometimes it's other things that other people can do. But working together, weariness can be reduced. And then number three, attack the weariness by looking for ways to do more good. That's kind of the irony back in Galatians chapter 6 of what Paul says. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Right? Like he basically says, hey, don't grow weary in doing good. Keep sowing. You will reap. Look for opportunity to do good. He doesn't say take a break from doing good so that you, so that you don't grow weary. He doesn't say take a rest from doing good so that, you get, so that you overcome weariness. He says look for ways to do good. Look for opportunities to do good. Basically attack your weariness from doing good by seeking to do good in every opportunity that comes your way. Attack the weariness by looking for ways to do good. So identify the factors, seek to change the factors, and then attack the weariness by looking for ways to do good. That number three point simply means you can offer suggestions to people. Hey, if you'll do this, my weariness will decrease. And they may look at you and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then not do any of it. Your overcoming your weariness is not contingent on whether other people do what they're supposed to do or not. It's contingent on you continuing to look for opportunities to do good. Now, it may mean you looking for different ways to do good. Like I've had conversations with some of my teachers. Hey, teaching may not be for you, right? Like the amount of sowing that it takes to reap, the gap may be too long for you. You may not feel like the effort's worth the amount of waiting that it takes to reap what you sow. You may have to deviate. You may have to look for something different, right? Like don't stop doing good. Just find new ways to do good. Maybe teaching isn't your calling, okay? So identify the factors. Seek to change the factors if possible. Attack the weariness by looking for ways to do good. Let's talk about a real-life example right here. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give, have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I don't know how many of you have had to sit through resignation sermons. Let me tell you right now, this is not a resignation sermon. Okay, so just clear that up right up the, up the front. I've had to sit through two resignation sermons before. Um, one was my dad. Um, I think a lot of the church was caught off guard by when my dad resigned from being a pastor. I was not um, because I had picked up on some things within our family. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I actually eavesdropped on a conversation my mom had with one of her best friends where she was kind of talking through the fact, hey, we're probably going to resign and leave the church, right? So, so I'd been praying for a while, praying against that. Like, God, I heard that conversation. I know the people that are causing this issue for my dad. Like, I know some of the factors. Like, man, I was praying against it, right? Like, I wanted to see that not happen because in my own little world, I didn't want to leave my Christian school, didn't want to leave my friends, but I remember sitting through my dad's resignation sermon. I also remember first year at Liberty, our campus pastor resigned. Um, that one I was really shocked about. Not that he was really like a pastor because, I mean, he didn't know. I mean, all the students like went to this church. Was Rob Jackson the, so Rob Jackson was the campus pastor for y'all too. He didn't have like personal relationship with anybody because there were so many students that went. It was campus church where basically it was just the students. So he was basically a speaker each week. There was really no shepherding going on. But I, mean, I was still shocked because 
it was the, the first person that I had sat under that was not my dad, really, besides the, the pastor that we transitioned to for the last uh, part of my high school career. And when he resigned, I mean, I was just totally shocked, totally blown away. I remember at that time saying, man, if I ever have to leave a church, if I ever get to the point where I'm so weary or so just tired or so whatever that I ever leave a church, man, people aren't going to be surprised if that decision ever comes. Like there's going to be enough discussion to where that is an understanding that, man, it's just time for me to do something different, right? So, so today's sermon is a sermon, it's, a, it's an application point here at the end in hopes that, man, we don't ever get to that point where, where that's, the, that's the sermon that I'm giving. But I need you guys to understand, and we're going to be real honest here as we close up because I'm going to give you some real practical things. Um, because I'm, I'm telling you that I want to walk through these steps that I've given you as to how to encourage somebody that, that's growing weary and they're doing good. Because for a while now, our elder meetings have been conversations about how we are growing weary in doing good. It started about a year ago. Um, about a year ago, I began to feel discouragement, weariness about kind of that first reason, like not feeling acknowledged for the good that I was doing. And, and I was able to battle through that and say, man, that's silly. Like, that's, that's, not, that's not okay for me to be discouraged or weary because of a, a, an affirmation issue. Right? I mean, I even called Rob on my birthday and said, man, I don't, know, I don't know how long I can keep doing this because of kind of where I'm at in my weariness. Right? Rob gave me some stuff. We kind of prayed through that, battled through that. Um, then it kind of transitioned into, man, I just don't know if the, the results, like the fruit, is, is worth the effort. Like the amount of effort that I'm trying to put into this, and this is where the elders kind of came alongside too, and we begin to have discussions about whether, man, are we, are we putting forth effort and seeing the type of fruit and results that warrant the amount of effort? And again, too, I think there's some flawed thinking in there that we kind of prayed through and talked through and worked through. Um, but then you kind of transition to that number three part, and, it, and you begin to say, maybe I'm just not good at this. Like, maybe this isn't, like, what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I'm not going to walk away from the faith, right? But I'm putting forth a lot of effort, and I'm trying to do a lot of good, but, man, maybe I could do something different, and see better results, um, quicker results, more fruitful results. Maybe somebody else could do this job better than me even, right? So, so those are things that, that I've kind of been wrestling through for the past year. And I want to tell you, like, I'm, I'm so far from resigning. Like, like don't think that's coming in, in three weeks if something doesn't change for me, right? It's been a year process where, where I've even felt the okay to even bring that to you guys. But I can tell you it's not just me at this point. Like the elders as, as a collective group are weary in doing good. Like we're weary in doing good. And so for a while now, we've been kind of walking through these steps without even really knowing it on paper. Like what we've done has now been put on paper by identifying the factors. What's causing us as elders? And we had this discussion recently. What, what, if, if I had to write down the things that are causing me to feel weary in our efforts to lead and shepherd this church? What are the factors that are causing that feeling of weariness? All right, and we wrote down some things really quick. Like it was pretty obvious to us what is causing us to feel weary. And they're all tied into the things that we already talked about the local early church being known for, right? First of all, Sunday attendance. And Sunday attendance is not the mark of what is a good Christian and what is not a good Christian. But at some point in this journey of planning a church to where we are today, and this is, this is where like the rubber meets the road and like it's really not even appropriate probably to call us a church plant anymore. I mean, we're five, six years into this. Like we're, we're just a church now, 
We're not a church plant. We can't excuse things because we just started. Like we're five to six years old now, right? But when we look on a Sunday morning, and, and, and I know that the, the time and effort that, that I put into preparing to teach, I know what Tyson does to get ready for, um, for Sunday morning, I know what Adam does to get ready for the kids' class, and, 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 and I don't want to dismiss that there'll be a bunch of people in here that feel weary too, right? Like I'm just grouping myself in with you. I'm not separating myself from you, but I want you to understand where we're at as elders and why we feel weary. Pastors talk in terms of Sunday attendance that summer attendance, you expect it to be low, you expect holiday attendance to be low. And so you kind of excuse your Sunday attendance and saying, well, it's summertime or it's holiday season. What we've started to realize is that summer season and holiday season seem to blur together and you look up and you say, well, it's, it's October. Like attendance is typically low in October. Well, it's not. <laughs> like it's not, it's not summer season. It's not holiday season. It's October, right? Like it's, it's April, right? Like you should expect attendance to be kind of what it's supposed to be. It's not summer season. It's not holiday season. But man, as we continue to evaluate and we come in on a Sunday morning and prepare to, to lead our Sunday gatherings, man, it's like summer attendance and holiday attendance. It's just all one thing. It's just a year-round thing now. Like it's just what it is. And let me first tell you that this is not directed at anybody individually because we even walked through this at our last elder meeting. I said, let's go through our entire membership roster and let's determine if there's anybody individually that is causing us to feel weary that we need to go and sit and talk with individually and avoid bringing this to the entire church. Problem was when we walked through everybody, it wasn't this person or this person or this person, right? Like we don't have somebody that never comes to church, right? We just have a bunch of people that come one week when other people don't and then they kind of flip-flop or intermix to where nobody's really ever here consistently at the same time, right? If it was an individual that needed to be addressed, we would go to it and not talk about it in this setting, but it's not. I mean, we walked through every single person. I was like, well, I don't want to go sit and talk to that person. I don't have anything really to bring to their attention specifically for them. But Sunday attendance has been a struggle for us recently because, man, it's just like, it's just not consistent. It's not consistent. And it, and it doesn't, we don't, we don't find our identity as elders and pastors in Sunday attendance. I mean, we would love to see a, a concerted effort by everybody to be more intentional in the, in the scheduling of things to be here on Sundays. And, and, I, and I'm sharing with you honestly, because again, I don't want to get to the point where I just say, hey, I'm leaving, right? So I'd rather be honest than leave, right? But, but I can tell you, like, even like, like some of the reasons that people aren't here, some of them are completely, almost all of them are completely understandable, right? But Tyson and I were dialoguing a little bit about hey, in the six years we've been doing this, how many times have you missed for this or this or this? Man, I don't know that I've ever had to miss for like family stuff. My family just knows if you want us there, you schedule it to start after our church is over or else we're just gonna have to show up late. Like this is just a thing that my family just understands and, and just does, right? Like this time's too important for us to have to miss to go somewhere else. And that's not meant to make anybody feel guilty of, oh man, I missed last week for a family thing. Like that, that's not my intent. What I'm saying is that, man, you look at what they were doing in the early church, they were intentional with their gathering. As they carved out time at the beginning, it was daily. We're gonna gather with our church family. Our connecting points throughout the month feel like something people do when they have nothing else to do a lot of times. We've tried to set up times throughout the month, whether it's men's dinners, women's dinners, kids' days, um, at times we've done various things, man up breakfast, single nights, couple nights, C groups. A lot of times it feels like the attendance is 
hey, we don't have anything going on tonight. I can go to this. Versus, I can't do that because I have this that night. We've told you before, we never expect you to come to every connecting point. We just don't. We know that, that we're all over the place on the calendar. We do that intentionally because we know nights and mornings and weekdays and weeknights uh, and weekends work better and differently for people that, that don't work for others. I mean, sometimes we've had to think about canceling things because people aren't planning to come. It feels a lot of times like, man, I'll show up if I don't have anything else to do. If nothing else got scheduled, hey, great, I get to go to this this night. Versus, hey, I can't do that because I've got this that night. Like, where's the priority as far as connecting with our church family? Is it, hey, I go if I don't have other things I have to do? Or do I not do other things because, man, I got to connect with my church family? Number three, the lack of giving. Ben mentioned this recently. You've heard very, very little come from, from this pulpit about giving. Um, but it started to feel like something that the minority in our church is doing versus the majority. The reason I say that is because when you see the trend in giving that, that Ben posted, we're at a point in our church where we have more members and we have members who, since they came to our church, for the most part, have better jobs that pay more money. And that's not true for everybody, I get that. But a large majority have seen their, their work situation improve since coming to our church. And the giving has actually decreased. So we have more people than we ever have had, had before. We haven't lost really a whole lot of people, and we've added two when we have lost. So if anything, you would expect it maybe to stay the same. Uh, we haven't had like a, a substantial giver leave, Right? We've got people that are in better financial positions, but our giving is trending downwards. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't make me nervous like it used to, like at Mount Gilead, right? My salaries, my, my, my family will eat if only three people show up next week and none of you give, right? Like my family has food on the table. I mean, that was a, hard, a much harder conversation to have at Mount Gilead when you knew my salary is contingent on people dropping money in that giving box on the way out. That's why I don't take a full-time salary from here. That's why I don't ever want to, because I don't want ever to have to come to you and say, please come on a Sunday morning and please give because my family likes to eat. I don't ever want that to be what church is about for me on a Sunday morning, right? But let me tell you, I met with Chris. Me and Adam and Tyson met with Chris and, and we got an update on where he's at and we said, hey man, we want you to know we, we, we as a church promise to support you for three years. And I want you to know if giving continues under this trend, I can't guarantee you a fourth. I just can't. Like we are depleting our savings and we're not replenishing it in the same ways that we were. Now you can say, well, well Adam, if you, would, if you guys would let us know that, then man, we would, we, would, we would give more. But that would only work if I said like the giving stayed the same and our, and our expenses have increased, right? Like, hey, we just need to make you aware more that, hey, our expenses have gone up, you need to give more. But our giving has decreased, Right? Like it's not like, hey, we need you to give more because we, we need to do more. It's, hey, you guys stopped giving for whatever reasons. It's not been a priority like it was previously. And so now we're, we're, we're talking about having to potentially back off some things. Like we may not be able to do some of the things. That we, so when we talk about five-year five goals, man, that kind of stuff's had to have been shelved a little bit because I don't know if we can continue to do some of those things from a financial standpoint. So why are we growing weary? Sunday attendance is really down, it seems like, week to week. We're having a hard time getting people to come to connecting points consistently. Giving is down. These are things that were marks of the early church. 
that seem to be not marks for us right now. Number four, lack of serving. Serving feels like it's become more of a chore rather than a joy in our church. We don't do a whole lot of serving in our church. Let's just be honest. Like when you think about the things that we do as a church, the things that we're involved in, it's not a ton, right? We do some collections monthly for diaper drives and and canned food drive for I-58. We do three events a year for Serve Sonoy. We do a a fundraiser gala for the Coweta Pregnancy. I mean, they're pretty spaced out. Like they're not tons of, we're not not putting on big events that require a lot of time and attention that we just can't do that anymore, right? Like there's a church that used to do a live nativity scene that, we took our kids to them, and they basically constructed Bethlehem in the backyard of their church. It was awesome. Like, we went one year, and I was like, new family tradition. We're doing this every year. And one of the guys at the church teaches for me, and I, was, I told him, I said, man, we're, we love that. And he's like, this is the last year we're doing that. And I was like, what? He's like, man, we can't get people to do it anymore. And like, nobody wants to show up and do it. We're not putting on, like, live Bethlehem scenes at our church and having a hard time getting people to do it, right? We can't, people, we can't get people to show up and do trash at an event, for, for an hour or two. Like when we meet as leadership in, in, in the early part of next year, like at some point we're gonna have to start talking, do we keep doing Serve Sonoy events because it's us that shows up? Like there's, there's a handful of us that show up at every event and we have to work multiple shifts now because we can't pe- get people to show up at those events. We've never had to tell anybody, we don't have room at the fundraiser gala for you, for the Coweta Pregnancy. We're all maxed out, we don't, we don't have any more room. We've never had to do that. We've actually been inviting people like last minute, hey, we still got some seats open. Right? We, had a, we had a small handful contingent of people at the, at the run for life. We're basically, we're just showing up. And I mean, you don't even have to run. Like we talk about that. Like I walked a mile and, and, and gave money to the Coweta Pregnancy Service. And we did that together. But a small group of us did that together. Remember the church at Thyatira? Your, your, your latter works exceed your previous works. Why are we growing weary as elders? Because we're having conversations about, maybe we're doing too much. Maybe we need to stop doing some of the things that we're doing because we can't get people to participate in it. Visitors not returning. And we have a lot of people that visit our church. We have a, we have a very small amount that come back. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know why, but, it, but it's discouraging to us as elders to see the amount of people that visit our church and then don't come back. Um, and I tie that to our hospitality. So all these connect with the things that we talked about previously. I tie that to our hospitality. Um, because I've had, I've had a bunch of people say, man, we love the service. Like we love the singing. We love the preaching. This just isn't it for us. Like we, we just, we aren't, we we won't be back or we just never hear from them. Man, I, I want us to not be guilty of somebody walking in and visiting our church and leaving because they didn't feel like we were welcoming or hospitable to them. And that may not be the case. May, maybe we're extremely hospitable and welcoming and they just decide we're not gonna come back. But I'm telling you, as we try to identify the, the factors for why we feel weary as elders right now, these are the main things that we're feeling, the, the, the main sources of discouragement. Um, so how do we seek to change those factors? One, we're having conversations as elders. What are some things that we can do differently? And I even brought up some stuff this summer to the elders that, hey, I want to quit throwing darts at things and trying to hit a bullseye and just randomly planning things and hoping that 
that it fixes certain things. That if we're going to do something at a church, the elders have to wholeheartedly believe this is the best thing for our church. Because I was starting to grow weary because I felt like we were just doing things on a whim, trying to meet people's needs, but they weren't really working. So I wanted to make sure that if we schedule something, plan something, attempt to do something, that the elders are leading because we believe in it. That was one area that I wanted to address with our elders that was causing me to feel weary. So we're still having internal conversations about what we can do personally to, to decrease our weariness. But we talked about personal changes and then asking others to do things differently. Number one, come ready to participate on Sundays. Our identity is not wrapped up in whether you're here or not, but it's certainly a huge encouragement when we feel like attendance on a Sunday is prioritized by our church members. It's an encouragement to us. Number two, make plans to connect throughout the week. Man, early church, day by day, they were trying to meet with people in their church. And that's not to say that some of you aren't. Like, I'm not dismissing. Again, if there were individuals that need to be addressed, we would go and talk to those individuals. But across the board, like, man, we've just seen some of these events that just are low attended for whatever reasons. But it's discouraging when we feel like it's not being made a priority. Number three, re-examine your giving habits. I'm telling you, our giving's not great right now. Are we in danger of not being able to meet here? No. Are we in danger of not being able to continue to support and do some of the things that we've been doing? Yeah. And we're certainly on pause of being able to do anything further than what we're currently doing. And again, that's only discouraging because numbers are up as far as membership. We feel like jobs are up as far as opportunities, but giving is down. I mean, that, that affects us being able to help each other within this, this context. When people come to us and say, hey, we have a need, can you please help us and, and meet that need as a church? We haven't said this yet, but just so we're all on the same page, and for those that are listening on the podcast, just so you know, some of the decision-making is being affected by the amount, the, the amount or the lack of giving that's coming in right now that we can't fully help potentially people that are in need within this church because we don't have the funds to do so. Number four, repent of your lack of zeal in serving. And I only say that because that's what Jesus said to the church at Thyatira or the church at um, Ephesus, sorry. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. Laodicea. He told them to, to, to stop being lukewarm in their approach and to repent and be zealous in their serving again. Man, we need, we need to be reinvigorated with the things that we're currently doing because, man, I would love to get to the point where we're saying, hey, we got to add to our serving like the church at Thyatira had to because, man, we're so, we're so in tune with wanting to help people. We need to add opportunities versus retract and take away. Number four, talk to a visitor this week. Right? We got people that here that are not members of our church. We'll have people next week that are not members of our church. Be intentional to talk to people that are here that are not members of our church. Identify the factors, seek to change the factors. Number three, attack the weariness by looking for ways to do good. Here's the thing. As elders, we're gonna keep pressing on, trusting that in due season, we're gonna reap as we have in the past, right? Like we're not waiting to finally reap. And we've reaped so much from the investment we've made in this church. Like I don't want you to think for a second that we're waking up, waiting on the cocoa beans to finally come up that we've been pouring into for years, right? Like we reap and sow all the time. We're in, a, we're in a, a season of life right now, though, where we're weary in doing good. And I thought it good to bring that to your attention, to give you some practical ways to, to help us in that. At the end of the day, 
there might not be one thing that changes on that list. And our lack of, our, our condition of weariness right now will not stay tied to you guys' reaction to this. It's just not, because Paul says, if you're weary and doing good, look for ways to do good, right? So we're going to keep pressing on. We're going to keep pouring, and we're going to keep sowing, knowing that we will reap. But man, I felt like it was the faithful thing to do to kind of share with you guys some of the, the, the factors that we've identified as, as why we're feeling weary right now, right? So, so again, you don't see on there, come give me a hug at the end of the sermon, come tell me how great of a, like I've moved past the need for affirmation, right? Like I, I don't need affirmation, right? I'm trying to evaluate, man, am I, am I, am I a good fit for doing this? Because if, if people don't come on Sunday and people don't want to serve and people don't want to give and people don't want to connect throughout the week, right? And people don't want to continue to welcome people to our church. And that may be on the leadership, right? And I want to be humble enough to admit, man, maybe my efforts and my good can be redirected somewhere else, right? Like Lauren and I had a conversation back in February when we were talking about me coaching football and principal and pastor. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm still at this point in my life trying to figure out where am I going to be in the next 10 years? What, what do I do well? What do I do best? I mean, I want to be here as long as God wants me to be here. But I certainly don't want to stay here if I'm not effective in the things that, that I'm trying to do here. And, 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 if, and if those tangible things are, are continuing to decrease, I mean, I just have to evaluate, is my effort and my good best done in this manner? Or would God be leading me to do something in a, in a different way, right? Again, I'm a long ways from that, right? But I, I would never want to get to that point and, and, and someone say, man, I wish you'd come to us earlier about some of this stuff. Right? So our family worship questions this week. Number one, what area will we seek to address as a family that our elders have mentioned to help encourage them? And then number two, are we personally as a family weary about doing good and what factors are leading us to feel this way? So you may be sitting there and saying, amen, Adam, like I'm weary too. Like I'm, I'm right there with you. Go ahead and group me in with the group of weary people. Great. Then work through the same activity that we've done as elders. Identify the factors of your weariness identify where personal changes can be made, communicate to people that have maybe contributed to you feeling weary, and share with them things that if they did differently would help encourage you in your weariness. And then, man, wholeheartedly attack your weariness by looking for opportunities to do good. All right, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for passages like Galatians that remind us that weariness and the threat of weariness was at least expected by Paul that he identified churches that were doing good things, but also recognized that in doing good, it was going to become tempting at some point to become weary. God, I thank you for our elders and the continued effort that they make to lead our church. And God, we do confess to you that we're weary right now, and we're weary due to some factors that have been mentioned this morning. Father, I pray that we would be able to overcome that weariness and, and find a renewed joy through our relationship with you that spurs us on to not give up and to keep sowing, trusting that we will continue to reap as you've shown yourself faithful in the past to do. But God, I do pray that, that we as a church can step back and examine some of the things and choices and decisions that we're making. And God, I pray that if there are people in this church that are weary due to anything that the elders have done, that they would be um, bold enough to come and explain those things to us. Father, we welcome that feedback. God, we want to model, model this process by doing it this morning so that, so that we can all attack weariness in our own life. 
God, I pray that you would increase our, our zeal as we wait and we work. We look forward to the day that Jesus comes back. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.